Today we've got Dr. Danielle Becker, an assistant professor of neurology at the Hospital of the University of Pennsylvania and director of education and global health of the epilepsy division. And today we'll be talking about uh, pharmacology in epilepsy and specifically paying attention to patients who are pregnant. So welcome back to the show, Dr. Becker. I'd like to open this episode with a vignette. So say you have a 27-year-old girl who is thinking about getting pregnant and has a history of you know, a primary generalized epilepsy disorder and is on valproic acid. What are the kinds of things that you open up a discussion with regarding their anti-epileptic management? So the first thing I would find out is, has she ever been on any other seizure medications aside from valproic acid? Valproic acid has been shown to have the highest incidence of neural tube defects in unborn fetuses. So if a patient has never been on any other broad-spectrum anti-seizure medication, I would ideally like to transfer them, to switch them to another medication. There are studies in Australia that say that women who are on valproic acid, as long as they are on less than 500 total a day, it is still fine to get pregnant on that medication and the risk of birth defects is very low. However, in the United States, we tend to try to switch the patients that we can. It turns out the risk of congenital malformations in women with epilepsy is nearly threefold greater than in healthy women without epilepsy. Before we even get into these numbers, I just want to give you an idea. A little over 2% of babies born from healthy moms will have congenital malformations, a 1 in 50 chance. In women with epilepsy, this risk is about 7%. And the risk of malformations increases with drug polytherapy as opposed to monotherapy, and with some drugs being riskier than others. Valproic acid carries the greatest risk of congenital malformations, nearly 11%, followed by phenytoin, 7%, and carbamazepine, or phenobarbital, tying for third place at about 4.5%. Women at the greatest risk are those taking valproic acid in addition to at least two other AEDs, amounting to a 25% chance of a congenital malformation during pregnancy. So thus, if I ask the patient if she's ever been on any other seizure medication before and she says no, then my immediate thought is that I would like to transfer her to a different medication. If she says yes, I've been on, let's say, Keppra before or Topamax or Zanisamide or Lamictal, as those are many of our broad-spectrum medications that we do have patients with generalized or primary generalized epilepsy on, and she says that Depakote was the only medication that worked for me and I would have generalized tonic-clonic seizures if I was off of it, then I know that I cannot take her off of that medication. If I cannot take her off of the Depakote, what I would do is make sure that she's on the lowest dose possible that she needs. I also would make sure that she's on folic acid. Folic acid is thought to help counter against neural tube defects. As Dr. Becker also mentions, Valproic acid and other antiepileptic drugs increase your risk of other congenital malformations besides neural tube defects. According to data from the Neurodevelopmental Effects of Antiepileptic Drugs, or NEED, these investigators prospectively evaluated pregnant women with epilepsy who were treated with AED monotherapy. At six-year follow-up, both gestational valproic acid exposure and higher AED dosage, largely driven by valproic acid, strongly correlated with a lower childhood IQ. The presumptive mechanism for this finding is AED-mediated neuronal apoptosis, a process that is likely dependent on peak AED serum level, which can occur following a single exposure, and it seems to bear no relation to total gestational or lifetime exposure. So a single loading dose of valproic acid may be sufficient to produce a lifelong cognitive consequence to an unborn fetus, whereas chronic low levels of serum AEDs appear to confer a lower risk.
Interestingly, data from the NEEDS study corroborated previous findings that even across women with epilepsy on an AED, children who were breastfed had a slightly but significantly higher IQ, about four points, when compared to children who were not breastfed. So if the patient has not been on other medications before, other than Depakote, I will try to switch her to a different medication. If I'm going to do this, I need to find out when she is thinking of having a baby because I want to do this at least six months to a year before she even starts to get pregnant as I need to make sure that she would tolerate this medication and I need to have time to get her off of the Depakote. don't realize the role of hormones in epilepsy. The main hormones that we always talk about when we're talking about menstruation are progesterone and estrogen. And what I like to tell residents uh, is that estrogen starts with an E and E stands for exacerbation. So when estrogen is high, it is more likely that they will have an exacerbation in their seizures. Progesterone starts with a P. P is for protection. And when progesterone is low, meaning that they lack the protection, they're more likely to have seizures. So in women who have catamenial epilepsy, which means that they have seizures surrounding their ovulation period and or their menstrual period, the reason that this is thought is because when women ovulate, the estrogen goes high and the progesterone is already pretty low. And so thus they're at a higher risk to have seizures at that time. When women are about to menstruate, actually both the estrogen and the progesterone lower, but the progesterone lowers quickly. So again, it's thought that women with epilepsy lose that protection, and that is why they are also more susceptible to having seizures around that time. That's incredible. I almost didn't believe it. But when I looked into it, according to animal studies, it may be that physiologic concentrations of progesterone likely produce the anticonvulsant effect. This may explain why supplemental progesterone has failed as an anticonvulsant among women with epilepsy, as we saw from the progesterone trial study, which was published in 2012. It is thought that progesterone's metabolite allopregnanolone, aka 3-alpha-5-alpha tetrahydroprogesterone, strongly activates the GABA-A receptors in a way that suppresses excitability in the nervous system. Estrogen, on the other hand, is far more complicated. As a rule of thumb, like Dr. Becker said, estrogens increase seizure frequency, likely by several mechanisms. Animal studies have shown that estrogen can suppress GABA-mediated inhibition of hippocampal neurons, resulting in a net excitation. It can reduce GABA synthesis by reducing glutamate decarboxylase activity, and it may increase glutamatergic NMDA responses via proliferation of dendritic spines and hippocampal neurons. Together, this increases the sensitivity of cortical neurons to glutamate and may explain the higher risk of seizure when estrogen levels rise. I should mention here that while we think of estrogen largely as an exacerbator of epilepsy, low doses of estrogen may also protect against seizures via incompletely understood mechanisms. In my experience, I have seen extra doses of medications around the menstrual cycle work at times. So, for example, if someone's on Keppra, I may have them take an extra dose of Keppra two days before their menstrual cycle, during their menstrual cycle, and two days after the menstrual cycle. And I have seen positive effects with this. I've also, believe it or not, seen this with Depakote as well. Onfi or Clobazam, which is one of our newer medications, is also thought to help protect this way with an extra dose. I just saw a patient today who takes clonazepam just around her menstrual cycle, and that has stopped her from having seizures for the past four years. This 
can get even more complicated that some oral contraceptives or birth control methods may affect your um, estrogen levels and may affect the levels of anti-epileptic drugs. So certain medications or certain anti-seizure medications that we talk about, we refer to as inducers. And what that means is that they induce the metabolism of other medications. Phenobarbital, primidone, dilantin, tegretol, trileptal, Topamax at greater than 200 milligrams total daily dose. All have inducing properties, which means that they induce a breakdown oral contraceptive medication quicker than normal, thus leaving the women susceptible to get pregnant or thus causing less protection against getting pregnant. That being said, we have one medication where the oral contraceptive pill actually affects the medication, Lamictal. If you have a patient on Lamictal, one of the first questions you need to ask is, are they on birth control? And if they're not, are they planning to go on birth control? And the reason why is that birth control, which has estrogen components in it, interacts with Lamictal. So the blood level of Lamictal reduces. And so thus, if a patient is on Lamictal and all of a sudden they start oral contraceptive pills, the Lamictal level may plummet and thus they may have a seizure. If a patient is on Lamictal and is on birth control pills and all of a sudden stops, the Lamictal level might increase and the patient may then become toxic on the Lamictal. So if they are talking about different birth control methods, which you always should have that conversation with your patients, there are certain birth controls that aren't affected by the anti-seizure medications. Some of those are the intrauterine devices. So for example, the Mirena is one of the best devices As you probably recall from medical school, the Mirena works by inhibiting fertilization through a localized sterile inflammatory response that's effectively toxic to sperm. Along with the copper intrauterine device, these IUDs do not interact with anti-epileptic drug metabolism because they do not release any active pharmacologic agent into the systemic circulation. Other progesterone-only alternatives like the progesterone-only pill or depomedroxyprogesterone injections are likely to be ineffective in women taking enzyme-inducing AEDs. And because of the enzyme-inducing properties of these AEDs, estrogen-containing oral contraceptives may be less effective due to increased clearance from the more rapid hepatic metabolism. So these patients may require a higher dosage of estrogen-containing OCPs, and you should always try to coordinate with your patient's primary care physician or gynecologist about the most appropriate therapy for this patient. expectant mothers, how do you counsel them on the risk of epilepsy during pregnancy and how do you instruct them on following up with their drug levels and adjusting drug dosages? So we actually are implementing a pathway here at Penn where we're going to set up a pregnancy clinic for this reason. So as soon as a woman thinks about getting pregnant, we'll talk about it with them in the office visit. If they're on multiple medications and we can try to reduce the polypharmacy, we will attempt to do that. If they're on a medication that's thought to cause teratogenic effects, we will talk about switching the medication. Now, once they become pregnant, we actually want to see them three times during their pregnancy. We want to see them ideally within the first trimester to make sure everything's fine, to make sure that they're tolerating the medications, to talk to them about what to do if they are vomiting. And if they do vomit up their medications and it's within... 10 minutes of them taking their medication, we sometimes will say take a double dose. If it's within a half hour, the thought is that most of the medication has already gotten in. 
we also talk about monitoring levels. So there are certain medications that need to be increased during pregnancy. So for example, when a woman gets pregnant, metabolism is revved up to protect both the mother and give nutrients to the baby. When the metabolism is revved up, certain anti-seizure medications are broken down more quickly and thus will need to have their doses increased. These seizure medications include Lamictal, Keppra often, Trileptal often, and possibly Carbamazepine. For Lamictal, we check their levels monthly. For Keppra and Oxcarbazepine, also known as Trileptal, I check it at least every trimester. And the thought is, is that if you know that your patient is going to plan to get pregnant soon, you want to get baseline levels. And then throughout the pregnancy, you want to target the level to what their baseline level was. So you will not automatically increase the level of the medication unless their blood level falls. Because a seizure during pregnancy can have negative effects on the fetus, which include low fetal heart rate, premature delivery, low maternal and fetal oxygen levels, increased maternal and abdominal trauma, and even fetal death. And thus, it's very, very important for us to make sure and protect the mother against having seizures during pregnancy. In addition to the epileptic complications of pregnancy that Dr. Becker noted, women with epilepsy are at an increased risk of adverse psychosocial outcomes. Both during and following pregnancy, women with epilepsy are at an increased risk of lower life satisfaction, less satisfied with their partners, and are more likely to separate or divorce. These women are also less likely to maintain a job in the months following delivery, so it's important that you take the time to screen these patients for quality of life parameters and depression. And that being said, according to a practice parameter from the American Academy of Neurology, investigators found no increased risk of other complications of pregnancy like preeclampsia, premature contractions or premature labor and delivery, spontaneous abortion, or even a change in seizure frequency among women with epilepsy who become pregnant. Now, let's say you have a woman who is uh, recently status post-delivery, the intravascular fluid changes dramatically, the protein levels can shift, and drug levels can also rise or fall pretty precipitously. So what do you recommend uh, other neurologists and primary care doctors do as far as following up levels and when should drugs be adjusted? Right. So that's a great question. So I had said that we see we try to see the patients three times during their pregnancy. I just talked to you about the first visit. The second visit is also talking about levels and starting to talk about what will happen if they deliver and especially if they deliver early. The third visit is actually ideally a couple weeks to a month before they deliver. And at this visit, we actually tell them how they would change their doses back. So for example, let's say a patient was on Lamictal pre-pregnancy and they were on 200 milligrams total a day. When they were pregnant, that lamictal dose got doubled to 400 milligrams a day. The day after they deliver, I actually will half the increase that I made. So just to be a little bit clear, the patient was on 200 milligrams of lamictal pre-pregnancy. During pregnancy, the lamictal was increased to 400 milligrams. The day after they deliver, I will put them back to 300 milligrams of lamictal. Then in a week, I will get a level and see how they're doing. And depending how they feel and what their level is, I will slowly bring them back down to their baseline. That being said, if a patient tells me that she knows she's going to be very sleep deprived and very stressed and that these are triggers for her seizures, I may leave her on a little bit of a higher dose of Lamictal as long as the level is within range, just to give her a little bit of protection, especially in the first six months when we know that she'll be sleep deprived. 
Keppra is the same. If you increase the dose, the day after pregnancy is when I decrease the dose because the body re-equilibrates very quickly and you don't want your patients to be toxic on these medications and risk being dizzy or falling, especially when they're caring for their baby. Lastly, it's very important if a, if a woman has epilepsy and has a newborn baby, you must tell her that she shouldn't bathe the baby alone, that she should always have someone with her, especially if she has a lot of seizures. If she's carrying the baby, I often recommend that they use belts or carriers, sometimes even carry them in a car seat, and also develop a feeding structure so that they can still get sleep throughout the night. So now the baby has been delivered and the mother is considering breastfeeding. How do you counsel your women who are considering breastfeeding? We encourage all women to breastfeed if that's what they want. Breastfeeding is a personal decision, so we don't tell any woman what they do or do not need to do. However, if they want to breastfeed, we do not want the fact that they're on anti-seizure medications to be the reason that they don't. The AAN has actually put out guidelines recommending that it's okay to breastfeed. That being said, there are certain anti-seizure medications that can affect the baby. So we warn the mother of certain side effects to keep their eye out for. So the medications that we know that may cause the baby to be more sedated, to have failure to thrive, to have poor appetite, include phenobarbital, primidone, and benzodiazepine, as well as ethosuximide. And again, we tell a mother that if they notice that the baby is more sedated, not feeding, having failure to thrive, they can go to their pediatrician and actually get those levels checked in the baby's blood to make sure that they are not high. Now let's move further on down the road for the women that you see with epilepsy. As women approach menopause and go through menopause, their hormone levels may shift, and this may also have inadvertent effects on uh, drug levels and, and risk of epilepsy. So how do you approach these women? So it depends what type of seizure they had. The women that have catamenial pattern type epilepsy tend to do very well after menopause as the estrogen levels decrease. However, if one of those women is put on hormone replacement therapy and has unopposed estrogen, their seizures may worsen. That being said, there's no golden rule with menopause. Some women's seizures stay the same. Some women's seizures get worse. Some women's seizures get better. The thought is that perimenopausally, there's fluctuations in ovarian steroid levels, which may exacerbate or diminish seizures. And do you have any final messages for our listeners? Make sure that they bring baby pictures when they come back in, because that always adds to a fun (laughs) visit. All right. Well, thank you so much, Dr. Becker. I really appreciate your time. That's all for Brainwaves this week. Again, that was Dr. Danielle Becker of the Penn Epilepsy Center, who also helped to put together a prior episode on anti-epileptic drug-drug interactions. You should check it out if you haven't already. I'm Jim Sigler. We'll see you next time. Thanks for listening to Brainwaves today. If you like what you just heard, you can find more related material on the web at brainwaves.me or find us on Twitter at Brainwaves Audio feel free to contact us at bweditorialboard at gmail.com. Be sure to check out our iTunes archive for older episodes. This episode was produced by Jim Siegler. Music by Josh Woodward. I'm Erica Mejia. Join us next time for another edition of Brainwaves. Brainwaves.